2: Welcome to Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and we're broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick at 261 Moore Street, where brunch is being served. Um, My guests today are in studio. I'm really excited about them. I have um, my old friend and acquaintance and colleague, Steve Jenkins, the legendary one and only from Fairway Market. And um, with him is Michelle Buster, who is uh, the founding partner of Forever Cheese, which is one of our biggest and most exciting importers. These guys work together, so it seemed like a good idea to have them in the studio at the same time to talk about the import and export business. Um, Steve, I barely even need to introduce you. I think you're pretty well known, probably around the country, if not around the world. We just um, you know, met somebody from Ireland who... <laughs> Knew all about you, so there you go. Uh, but just in case those of you are not familiar with some of the fantastic honors and awards that Steve Jenkins has acquired over his many years in the food business, um, in 2010, should we now address you as Chevalier Steve Jenkins?
1: <laughs> Actually, they call you a leaker because the the ribbon is a, is a white leak, so they call you the oh. the Poire Blanc. Treat,
2: they call you yeah. a leaker. I love that. <laughs> first, first you take a leak. Yeah. Yeah. I no leaking in here, please. <laughs> <laughs> so um you have been, you were identified as a Chevalier of the Order of Agricultural Merit and in May of 2010 you were presented with the Distinguished Service Award by the Italian Trade Commission and your name now resides in the very select Distinguished Service Hall of Fame. Um you've published two books. Um the most recent was what in 2008? Yeah. Um and that was called um the food life. And, um, well, I mean, you're just the biggest mover and shaker really in the specialty food business, probably in the country, if I'm not mistaken. Michelle, you can't be too far behind because Steve was just telling me that your company could easily supply one entire store with just the products that you import. You're a founding partner of Forever Cheese. Um, and you specialize in the Mediterranean region. Your, your work has garnered an induction into the Guide International de Fromages. And you got an award in Murcia, Spain for your work in promoting the local agronomy. So, um, guys, the first thing I wanted to talk about since being in the import-export business is um, no joke, as it were. It's, like, hard to get it going. Steve, you especially were a pioneer in this. Um, what's it take? What are the legal implications? How do you get those licenses? Do you need them? Um, how do you get the stuff from, you know, from the farm to onto a container and over to the United States? Uh, what do you have to deal with with customs? And then how do you distribute it on into the various stores? I mean, these are problems that everybody faces in the food industry so but you do a special you know your your problems are especially compounded by the fact that you're bringing it in from overseas so have at it guys
1: well michelle buster i mean she's she's so smart and i do i i i do everything the wrong way i just i'm a bull in a china (laughs) shop i i go about my importing business for my fairway stores like a like a fool I make every mistake you can make. I violate every black letter rule there is. And I don't do it on purpose. I just do it because I'm, I'm hopeless. I'm incapable of following the rules that there are all over our faces and backs and hands and legs from every agency of this stupid American government prohibiting us from doing anything that seems logical as regards serious artisanal foods that come from Europe. So I just bowl my way through, and I, and, and I hope things make it through U.S. Customs and through the FDA and through the USDA, whereas Michelle Buster at Forever Cheese and Sini Fulvi, who brings in the most arcane and precious and magnificent foodstuffs in the universe from not just Italy, but Spain and Portugal as well, she follows every rule to the T, and she's ha, done ha, all ha. of her homework, <laughs> and she knows this, she so knows that, and she makes me feel feel like a fool every time I hey, talk to her hey, on the hey, phone. Hey, hey. I'm sorry. Well it's I'm a good sorry. thing you have her in your corner then.
2: <laughs> what you wouldn't no. have any cheese in the shop if it weren't for Michelle?
1: Come on. Yeah, because if it was left up to me, I'd be in jail and my company <laughs> would be, be being hauled before the Supreme Court for violating every every law there is about import. It's you know, true. I I I built my career by smuggling. All that stuff that that made first Dean and Deluca famous, and then pasta and cheese, and then Fairway. Everything that made them famous was illegal as hell. had had no reason to be in the country, but that's the way I did things.
2: Well, that's what I remember when I worked at Pasta and Cheese, which is, of course, where you and I met. was was that we you, you had unbelievable raw milk cheeses yeah. that were you know yeah. fresh yeah. as fresh can be. I mean, it was my education in cheese, and
3: I've been a card carrying cheeseaholic
2: ever since. I mean, good old
1: days, <laughs> the good old days.
3: <laughs> but I mean. In those days, it was easier to have more leeway. And at least now, they've made a concerted effort. Like the last couple years has been more difficult than ever and more stringent because they've actually put a lot more funding. The government has decided since Obama came in, okay, importing foodstuffs from Europe is like a national health risk. So they've stepped up all of the things, it's become really, really rigid. I mean, I'm not exactly... I'm usually, like, outside of my work. I don't like to follow the rules. I never really follow the rules. I make my own rules. Um, but unfortunately, to do what we have to do, and if we want to bring things in, not just for Fairway, but, you know, we import across the country, and we need to be serious and know what we're doing, there's a lot of stuff that you have to follow. And they've hired more people, they meaning the government, to for the FDA... And everything to really, really enforce things now. So a lot of what we are talking. So to be an importer, it depends what products. If you're importing non-perishables, it's a lot simpler. Mm-hmm. And almost everybody tries to do that. But if you're importing perishable foods, cheese. Or meat. Especially. Or meat or anything like that. But especially like, meat actually has a sturdier life than a cheese does. I always talk about cheeses like your kids. And each one is different. And they're very... Uh, temperamental. So you really have to use kid gloves to bring that in. So you must know what you're doing. Because if you wait until it's just hanging out in a boat, waiting to come in, and then it just sits there blocked, well, guess what? You're going to throw away hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we don't have that to do. So you have to know that if you're bringing in that it's, um, they have their FDA numbers, that they're called what they are, that you can declare which kind of product it is if it's goat or it's cow or if it's sheep and really if you don't have all your paperwork since like 9-11 they instated little by little that you need to have a pre-notify so you have to have all the data transmitted in advance even before all of my stuff goes to um, the places where they're consolidated in europe all the data has to be there before it loads the boat and so that it's already in the system this is the product that's going this is who's shipping it this is traceable back. So that if there's any problems, they have it, and that's part of over the last four years, the new rules that came into effect, which means that all your product has to be there much sooner, which means you have to turn it sooner because it can't just sit there indefinitely. Right, especially cheeses. I mean, cured meats, yeah, but cheese, you're you're as you said, you're out,
2: you're out, shit out of luck, basically. You know, Katie,
1: <laughs> Katie, Katie, if our, our listeners are thinking, well you know how does this affect me and who really cares because all this stuff is is really precious imported food imported meats and imported cheeses and oils and vinegars who really needs them i'd rather support the american food artisan and the heck with these portuguese and spaniards and italians well that's not the way it really is the truth is is the stuff that michelle brings in is the most precious most most unforgettable most necessary foodstuffs that you could possibly want to get your hands on as an American. I don't care where you live the stuff that, that, she brings in that i get to i get to take part in is just the most magnificent stuff in the universe we're talking iberico ham here that iberico ham leaves the realm of 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 judging something elemental and edible it leaves the realm of that it's that special iberico ham is something that's sanctified and and magical and once you've you've tasted it you'll, you'll understand what i'm saying to you it's not it's not ham it's not meat it's it's not even something that's a foodstuff. It's something just rarefied and and magical and different. So we're talking about Iberico ham here, and we're talking about the great regional cheeses of Spain here, from Asturias and 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 uh, and and Valencia and, and and Catalonia. These are these hey, are cheeses that are not recreated here in America. We can brag all we want about our wonderful fledgling American artisanal cheese industry, but. But we ain't got nothing as good as these these Portuguese and these Spaniards are doing now. Olive oil. Yeah, we've got a couple of oils that I would allow in the house that come from California uh, or Arizona or even Mexico. But they can't hold a candle to the olive oils that Michelle and I are bringing in from Portugal and every region in Spain that produces olive oil. So you could poo-poo all you want what we're talking about today, about having so much trouble with imports. But if you understood the significance of the foodstuffs that Michelle imports and that I import, you, you, you'd have some respect for the frustrations that we're going through every day with, with, with big government.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's interesting that uh, this is just a total aside, but you're talking about you know how the FDA has hired more inspectors and they're giving you more of a trouble, and then I'm thinking back to how much difficulty we have in guaranteeing the food safety of our own foodstuffs in the United States, and a lot of the reason for that has been laid at the doors of not having enough funding for inspectors. You're exactly right. So uh, you know, it's it's really ironic. I get to a report me.
1: every day on food safety from the federal government and from this guy Marler, mm-hmm. who, I is read a, Bill. who is yeah, Bill no. Marler, who's a who's a made it his mission in life is to get after these big companies with filthy ground beef and filthy melons and filthy watercress or whatever yeah. and and, and get on their case so <laughs> i'm I, every day i'm spending time with food safety believe me i, I understand it yeah absolutely. do you want to hear
3: a funniest like a quirky thing yeah um hazelnuts that i bring in from italy because there's there's a huge um How do you talk? In Oregon, they grow a lot of hazelnuts. Yes, they do. So there's a big coalition to protect that growth. So when I bring in hazelnuts from Italy, from Rome, they are subject to a different inspection. They have to be inspected. Somebody takes them. You have to pay. It's more about paying. So I pay money. Mm -hmm. And that kind of goes into the fund to protect the national growth of the hazelnuts there now they might be doing this with pistachios i might have to alter some of the things i bring in because they're thinking about putting the same regulations that everything you bring that has pistachios has to be stopped that has to have a special certificate a special inspection and you have to pay on top of it and if you're bringing in sicilian pistachios that to me cost me 18 dollars a pound which is crazy the ones from uh, sicily and then on top of it i have to pay another a duty before I then sell it. My customers can't afford to do, sure. to buy it and then to resell it in a store so that or a restaurant to use them at that. But it's all about, it's the protectionist nature of the tariff, which also has to do with why we pay duties on the cheeses that come in. Of
2: course, yeah. One thing I was uh, curious about was, um, you know, companies like Fairway or your company, Michelle, obviously have an impact on the local economies of the towns and, and regions that you're importing from. So if these tariffs become, say, For instance, you can't bring pistachios in anymore. What kind of impact do you think that will have on the growers in Sicily? I mean, where are there other markets and and where are there other markets that are as lucrative as the United States?
3: I don't know so much I mean we don't do a big part in the pistachio, but like just when, an example. When, when Spain decided that we needed these um, we were talking about earlier that they needed a special certificate mm-hmm. in order to do the cheeses, it affected the little people very much because they didn't want they had to pay extra money. So if they only had mm, 20 pounds of cheese to give me, but they had to pay60 dollars to pay someone to do the certificate or they had to drive. Some of them had to drive an hour and a half each way yeah. to go and get the paperwork it's a big done. Deal. They lose a day. So they just said, I'm sorry. I love the I idea of being business. in the States, but I don't need this business. It's all sold here. So and that's I our loss.
1: Everybody's loss.
3: And for somebody for me, um, When you have a product, when you're a small artisan and you have all your products sold, you don't want more hassles. And to do what I do, one of the things Steve and I were talking about, I was able to get the, I was able to work with the artisans so that they would trust that I would bring their product in a certain way and bring it into their marketplace. So it was a huge win for me and I felt really excited. So that was a huge obstacle for the both of us to not be able to do it. So being able to like, get rid of that, which helped our entire industry, but also allowed me to then have this supply of being able to bring to the states these really cool sought-after products that they would line up for in Spain to get, yeah, was just priceless in being able to get through it. But otherwise, they couldn't afford to.
2: Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think it's really interesting that the United States has such a protectionist, at, you know, attitude towards uh, importing, um, and yet we want to export our product so much. I mean, we have so many products here that are not necessarily, um, you know, artisanal products. Yeah, but, but we export
1: commodity stuff like wheat and corn and that yeah. business. We don't, Soy, we don't. have any little beef. little artisans that are exporting anything at all. Yeah. And you got to remember, you got to back up a bit because it was December thirty first, two thousand ten when we rolled into 2011 when the 110th Congress rammed through in the middle of the night this zero tolerance bill that uh, forbids any foodborne illnesses uh, from anywhere. And they're they're Training the light on European foods, which are immaculate, yeah which we've never had any problems with we've never had any e coli issues with with imported foods, whether it's a cheese or a meat or whatever, but every day there's another recall from some american made domestic made uh fruit or vegetable or 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 cattle or product cream or cream puff or, or melon or mm-hmm. or something that's that's contaminated with filth did you know and about I that? would say to the fda you know look. Look in your own front yard. Stop bothering the European uh, uh, importers, and and look at look at people in this country that are producing food and making schools kids eat pink slime and that kind of thing, you're not going to get poisoned from a piece of European cheese or a great Spanish ham, but you are going to get sick from a melon or or some spinach that wasn't handled properly. And that's when I get irate at our stupid government for for, for being such a nanny government trying to protect me from bugaboos that aren't even there and aren't even looking in our own front yard where the problems are, are arising.
2: Yeah, I think that's really ironic. I'm very really interested about that. But um, let's talk a little bit about, so the, you would say that this part of your job is probably the hardest part? I mean, because the fun stuff is obviously uh, We have things on people. hold.
1: We have container loads of things that are tens of thousands of dollars that we've got tied up with things on hold because hold, the FDA is, is made up of a bunch of civil servants who are intractable, who don't want to talk to you on the phone, who won't talk to you on the phone, who have an attitude if you are talking to them on the phone and if they don't have an answer they get even more irate that you asked them the question in the first place and they're government servants and they act like Michelle and I and all the other importers are working for them and it makes me crazy. Yeah. I have to say that
3: that I I do find some people who really want to help. Um, It's just really difficult. The, The volume is so huge and I try and make them when I find somebody on the phone I try and make them understand really what it means that it's not just a piece of paper and that my customers depend on me, that people have so much going on that what I have is perishable and it can't wait. Right. And and I try and find a way so that they'll, they'll work with me. But oftentimes you can't get through. When you do get through to some people at the right level, it's knowing who to go to the right level, then they'll listen to you. But all the other people in the middle, it is like, banging your head against a wall. It sounds like it. I mean, it's, it's really kind of sad.
2: They make
1: us destroy things because of labeling errors, not because they found anything right. dirty with the food or contaminated with the food. They may destroy prunes and, and figs and apricots that were dried in southwest France, not because there was any problem with the food, but because there was a, a, a comma out of place or a decimal out of place, or there was a gram marked instead of it being in, in ounces. Mm-hmm. And, and then they charge you to destroy it. Not only are you getting fined for having this transgression, but then they're they're charging you to destroy it, and it's 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 big mama government just just waltzing around, sitting on everybody's face, and I've had it up to here with it.
3: It's difficult. It really it, it, when it's stuff like that, it it does drive you crazy. And I remember I talked to one guy who said, "Well, you didn't do this right, so I was going to then be really picky about your label and say that you were missing this town too." And I said, I'm sorry, sir, but did you get the email from three days ago that gave you everything that you wanted and that showed all of this and that it's just a matter of a system thing? And, you know, so it's not like I didn't answer and I was able to get it out. But it was you were like, oh, my God. Yeah.
1: yeah, God forbid you should lose your temper.
3: Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Steve, I hope you have
2: yeah, a Yeah, so, so
1: now I've got people that, to do this for me because they know yeah, I'm crazy. I was just going
2: to say, you should never oh be allowed God. on the phone with oh, these people. Together. You're just plain dangerous, together dude. Together. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that uh, it's time for a little sponsor drop on this program. Uh, so please stay tuned for more of uh, this conversation about importing foods with Steve Jenkins and Michelle Buster. by the Hearst Ranch. At Hearst Ranch, ranch manager Cliff Garrison describes their philosophy. Raising cattle on grass is both an ancient practice and one that is standard in much of the modern world. Sometimes the old ways are the right ways. We believe that our methodology is the right one for us. For more information on their premium grass-fed beef, visit hearstranch.com. Welcome back to Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and in the studio with me is Steve Jenkins from Fairway Market and Michelle Buster from Forever Cheese. We're talking import-export. We're going to move on a little bit now and talk about American cheeses and American artisanal production and sort of how that stacks up uh, against European cheeses. And the first question I have is for you, Steve. Why are American cheeses even more expensive than many European cheeses? Why is that? I mean, how oh. come I can buy Telegio for sixteen dollars a pound, but I can't buy, you know, uh, Cowgirl Creamery for less than twenty-five?
1: Cost of doing business in the United States is much, much, much higher than doing business in any other country that we buy cheese from. It's cheaper to be a European and be in business out in the country than it is in the United States. Is that because once those again, things
2: are government subsidized? Once out? again,
1: it's because you got the city and the state and the federal government up a your ass. <laughs> Everybody's got rules, and everybody's got permits that you've got to buy, and everybody's got to be uh, employed properly with proper labor uh, constraints. And there are no easy ways to do anything in this country anymore. It's expensive as sin. That's why the American artisanal cheeses are so bloody expensive.
3: Can it also be transport too? There's when they're artisanal and how they have to transport their products and get it to market, or the the size of their herd or the amount of yield that they get wouldn't that all influence as well?
1: Yeah, because they don't have, we don't have a distribution channel for an artisan in this country that is smooth enough and efficient enough to create a revenue stream for that artisan to get by. Therefore, that American artisan has to have a number of different distribution channels to have a sheer mass of goods going out to the public in order to make a living, to pay those high cost of doing business expenses that they have. So it makes it very difficult for for these American artisanal cheeses to be at a price they were, say, twenty five years ago, where everything was was competitive, More or less it's not that part. way anymore. But everything is expensive now.
3: But sometimes it is. Could just be if the artisan decides that they're going to ship themselves and they ship with FedEx or whatever it is, because they have a little. It's a small order, yeah, small batch. So right. that increases the cost as well and what it is. Whereas if you bring something, if you use a distribution network, if you sell through a distributor then they can truck it. Right. And there's also differences. So it's quantities, it's size. There's so many different factors that could influence why it changes.
2: Well, one question I have for both of you is: Aren't uh, a lot of the artisanal producers in Europe, <clears throat> excuse me, in Western Europe, um, somewhat subsidized by the government? Isn't there some sort of like, as it is a you know national product? Isn't yeah. there not some any, not anymore. price support?
3: Oh, really? Oh, not anymore that I know of. I mean, there used to be huge subsidies for cheese, yeah. like in sheep's milk and other milks and different things, and most of that has all been taken off. Uh, I mean, if there's anything, it's very, very small, and, um, but it used to be much more funded by it, but there's no money anywhere. Nobody has money.
2: Yeah, certainly not in Western Europe. Um, so how can uh, American cheesemakers compete, given that they're charging double um, that of imported products? I mean, where I
1: despair for them being able to compete. Uh-huh. All they have to do is, is is choose to not compete and just be unique. And if they're unique and they've got a couple of good customers, that's enough to be able to fuel them to get down that five-year road where they've got to survive. After that five years is up, then they've got to figure out how they can find some other venues to move enough product that they can hire more people and grow their business somewhat. But I fear for them ever being able to grow their business because... We don't have a a, a federal, state, and local government that supports small business in this state. Maybe there's some other states that do, but sure as hell not Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey.
2: Well, I'm thinking about like when I go to the Fancy Food Show and you see like the the French Cheese Pavilion or something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, the governments, even if they're not directly subsidizing the the farms, they're they're subsidizing those entities to come over here and kind of sell their products a
1: bit, which I don't think we do in this country. No, but we have American Pavilions and all those international shows that I go to, but who you see there is not artisans. You see great big, huge... Walnut companies, like, like Blue Diamond. Yeah, absolutely. You well, see the big, big, Blue huge American nuts, companies yeah. come to these international shows, not any artisans. Well,
3: right. the American Cheese Society has been bringing like a group of people over to Bra and a couple other places. And there's actually a couple of um, Americans who are selling into England. And I have some friends with cheese shops in Spain. And I'm kind of the go-between. I'm going to put them all together because they want to sell American artisan cheeses in Spain. Uh-huh. And I might have them come to the American Cheese Society conference. And even though my company only does imported, we've always believed that, as a whole, it's very important to promote all of cheese and everything to do with it, the more it's good for the overall. So we've always participated in the American Cheese Society, and I'm very excited to help people have their products sold in Spain.
2: And how how receptive do you think Europeans are towards trying American products like that? Or do they just think, (laughs) parvenus?
3: (laughs) No, I think that as... As the whole world grows and changes, mm-hmm. and we become interested in everything, if you're interested in cheese, if you're interested in good things, then it becomes a curiosity. I want to, that people would say, I want to know what the states has that's sure. not, you know, craft singles. You know, what do they have? So it's very intriguing to people because they only think of us as having, you know, very commodity or cheddar. Or they don't know what.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. So in other words, you guys do see an export market growing slowly for the United States products of this type. And what if yeah. they all came together in um, sort of like a, you know, some sort of a giant co-op? I mean, you're talking about the American Cheese Society. Do other, Are there other trade associations that exist that help push that, you know, American profile of product out into the world?
1: Just critical mass. Nobody has time. Mm-hmm. Nobody has time to, to mount an endeavor of that magnitude. It would be fraught with, with government regulation up a U.S. They do everything they could do to thwart the success of a thing like that because they want to get in in your business
2: the American government would thwart it or yes. would, would, it, would the Europeans play the, the Europeans same we payback Europeans wouldn't have any problem with would, they wouldn't do a payback our
1: own government would thwart any anything that we try to do <laughs> because it's you know that's our business and it can't be easy let's just see if we can screw it up for you
3: yeah <laughs> How do you really feel about it? Yeah, really, Steve.
1: <laughs> I'm turning into a Ron Paul advocate here. I've been beginning to feel like a, a pure anarchy libertarian. I never thought that would happen to me, I know you're, you're kind of scaring with the me. Rules already. Enough Was I with talking the rules. about the
3: pessimist versus the? Yeah, women? really.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, some of these rules. <laughs> some of these rules do, you know have a place i mean for instance i wouldn't have wanted to be buying those um german sprouts from germany that you know sickened what forty seven thousand people or something last summer i mean people yeah, died Seven thousand yeah. people. i mean it was unbelievable that, that was pretty fluky that was amazing and it was like a brand new strain of e coli it had never been seen before yeah, yeah. um you know and who knows what triggered that in and, and those were egyptian seeds i think they traced it back to egyptian yeah, seeds yeah they
1: did yeah, but that was a real spooky no? I think I was no, I think I was before. traveling it hasn't happened this. Since. Oh, <laughs> so, I know
2: about
3: worried. like the whole cucumber thing or whatever happened in Germany, and or that was the sprouts.
2: It was sprouts. It wasn't cucumbers. That's first, right. they thought it was. Uh, first, they thought it was Spanish.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And they because thought it was
2: Spanish was in the peppers or that. That. something. Yeah. Oh
1: my god! And it killed it all those. People. And it
2: killed their farm. Their their it killed their business. Their, it was uh, fruit exports. And they it had was, done they thought it was
3: cucumbers, right? Yeah. And then it turned out it wasn't that yeah. at all. It was these damage um, was sprouts. done already. Yeah, right. It was a mess because my friend was the front guy in Murcia oh, for having to talk about it and be the spokesperson. And it was and I was in Spain at that point and everything was paralyzed and it was it was chaos.
2: Yeah, it was horrible. Well, they were seeking restitution. Uh, last time I read about this, exactly, that they were looking for some kind of financial it, recompense for having a finger pointed at them when they, you know, were totally innocent. It I mean, paralyzed it like, the whole market. Yeah, it was. A sh- it was a really shocking story on many levels. Actually, I thought that was a fascinating. Um, because first of all, the numbers were so big of people who got sick, and then it took them so long to trace it back to the correct product and so forth. Um, you know, I guess they're they got a ways to go with that stuff. Um, I guess I'm going to have to wrap up here in a couple of seconds, but. Um, Michelle, how do I get your job? <laughs> I mean, forget about the FDA stuff. I mean, just the fun stuff, like traveling around, trying all these cool things, making friends and food producers. Steve, you've got a pretty creamy job, too, although you know, you're more administrative now.
1: Back like, up, back up. Now we've got this problem of these nitwits at the University of California at Davis. Who have stirred up all of this trouble about olive oil, where they've got all the American consumer who's not very sophisticated about knowing much about anything anyway, and certainly they don't know anything about olive oil. The University of California Davis people, in an attempt to garner more market share for these pathetically not very special at all olive oils from California, they want a bigger market share, They're they're, they're painting all of us olive oil importers with the same brush by saying these big, huge Italian outfits are, are fraudulently uh, exporting olive oil that's, that's, that's contaminated with linseed oil or blended with hazelnut oil, which is total nonsense. You've got bottom-feeder supermarkets across this country that buy the cheapest, most horrible olive oil in the world from whatever deadbeat bottom-feeding importer in America is bringing in this crap that's blended from, from rejected Greek oil with an Italian label and a bunch of crummy Andalusian olive oil blended with it. Yeah, it's not good. There's not a bottle of olive oil in a supermarket across this country that was worthy of being in my kitchens or Michelle's kitchens or Katie Kiefer's kitchen ever. And you got the people in the University of California Davis saying, well all olive oil is like this. So suddenly all of these these my, my one hundred little tiny olive oil artisans are suspect by the unsophisticated American consumer because of these nitwits at the University of California at Davis, and now they're going to mandate that our federal government test every bit of olive oil that comes into this country, thereby attaching thousands of dollars onto every container load of my olive oil, which is just going to drive the price of my olive oil up all in an attempt for these Californians to get a bigger market share across the United States, which is outrageous.
2: Well, this is another protectionist. I mean, that's very much a prote- of a piece it's of what legal we've been talking about. Yeah, it, exactly.
1: And this this fellow, this Tom Mueller, who who meant well with this book that he wrote called Extra Virgin, meant very well. I'm sure he's a really nice guy. He has painted us all with the same brush and got everybody thinking that anybody that's importing olive oil is importing contaminated olive oil, olive oil that's not what it says it is, which is totally and utterly not true at all this fella tom muller that wrote extra virgin doesn't even live in the united states doesn't shop in any shops in the united states has no idea what it's like uh, the the scene of great stores in the united states with olive oil yet everybody's oh he's the new michael pollan darling of the industry because he's he's blown the whistle on this total lies total nonsense if you believe this extra virgin book you're a sucker And if you want to support these California olive oils, all I can say to you is you're going to have lousy olive oil in your home. It's not even very good olive oil.
2: Okay. Take that, Tom (laughs) Muller. Go get them, Steve. Yeah, Steve, I think you've said a mouthful there. Um, Unfortunately, we're out of time here. So I want to, boy, that went by fast. Um, fast. Thank you both very much for coming, Michelle Buster, Forever Cheese, and Steve Jenkins from Fairway Market. Always a pleasure, dude. (laughs) You are just a rock star. And thanks to all of my guests. Next week, we have Amanda Hitt, who's going to be coming in and talking about ag gag laws. Stay tuned, folks, for next week's Straight Note Chaser. And I'm your host, Katie Keeper. Thanks so much to my sponsor, Hearst Ranch, and thanks to my intrepid producer and engineer, Jack Insley. See you next week, folks.